Hello everybody and welcome to Talk of the Town, a Barnes FC podcast looking at the wider world of football. In today's episode, I'll be taking a look back at the game which saw a late goal take the Reds' relegation battle for the final game of the season. Also, we'll be looking ahead to tonight's crucial final round of games by talking to both fans of Hull City and Sheffield Wednesday. This is Talk of the Town. So Sam, obviously disappointing picture for you at the minute, bottom of the league and not helped by the result in your last game. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. Um, after the 8-0, the Luton game became must win. And in typical Hull City fashion, it was uh, a dire performance. Um, I think they started quite brightly, uh, which is a change recently. Um, but yeah, it just it just faded away. I mean, I think the stats were something like we were six two up in shots on general after either half an hour or the first half. And by the end of the second half, I'm pretty sure it was sixteen six. So just a complete turnaround for Luton. Um, two shots on target the whole game, both for them. One of them being the goal. It even a point would have been you know workable manageable you know you can go into the Cardiff game at least there's a chance you're not bottom of the table or you know you're not below another team but just letting a team win a game the way they did it did seem like the the objective was not to lose rather than to go and win it but yeah just it's been the same old same old this season table very often doesn't lie so what do you put the uh the current level of performance down to? I think it's it's been coming. Um, they hired a League One standard manager. He's never proved himself at this level, never managed at this level before. So, you know, he isn't of the championship calibre. You know that because otherwise he'd have been there before. After Nigel Adkins as well, it was, you know, almost imperative that they replaced Adkins with someone similar because... We had Slutsky before that, who was more adventurous and it didn't work, or it wasn't as successful as they thought it would be. Replaced him, Adkins steadied the ship. Grant McCann then inherited a squad which was League One calibre uh, by the end of the transfer window with two good players in it. Bowen carried us to a lot of points in the first half of the season. Bowen and Grzycki, I'll give him his credit as well carried us to 39 points by the you know by the end of January um yeah the the 19 games or whatever it's been since have just been dreadful I mean six points when realistically you look back at the 39 and uh when they were both gone and you'd have probably said a couple of wins would have kept you in the league to only get one and that came post lockdown and three draws is just, is quite frankly, embarrassing. I don't think they can look anywhere other than the fact that the squad wasn't good enough, the manager wasn't good enough, and 
it's been coming the last three years they've been in the championship that something like this happens because they've just been waiting and cutting it back as much as they can. So up next for you is Cardiff um, on the final day of the season. We, we, it's no secret that it's going to be very tough for you to stay up now, bottom of the league, three points adrift. Um, results will need to go your way and also you need to win. The game will be made tougher due to the fact that Cardiff obviously aren't guaranteed the playoffs yet, so probably need to get something against you. Um, how do you see the game going and in turn, how do you see the table finishing? Final day games against Cardiff have been uh, historically quite nice for us. I mean, we got promoted to the Premier League in 12-13 in the last day of the season game against Cardiff where results went went our way. Um, sadly, I don't think the same is going to happen this time. We actually have to win a game of football against someone better than us and need, what, five teams around us to lose slash not win, um, to have any chance on top of that. If only one of those results goes not our way, it then needs to be like a 15-0 victory. I mean, it's... It's kind of, at this point, a foregone conclusion. But, I mean, I think Sky put out some stats earlier or with someone similar that City are now 95% likely to be relegated. And, you know, it's that cliche uh, gif and reference to say, so you're telling me there's a chance. But as long as we have a chance, we have to use it. You know, we have to go into this game and know that there is the chance we can't care that other games are going on it's almost better for the the team that we won't if we were to not know what was going on it would be better for us um cardiff will obviously have to know what's going on because they need to know whether they're making it or not and whether it's the rest players but um yeah i mean it's just a, a bridge too far this time so we touched on a few problems within the, within the club um in our last chat in another podcast um but now that your position is more confirmed, it's hard to put it down on one thing, but what is the main co- contributing factor to the, to the disappointing position this season? The Alams. It, it's easy to point fingers, you know, every club around the country with, um, who's not enjoying a successful period that they, like, like they used to, you know, Arsenal, Man United. Um, there are big clubs, there are small clubs, there are people around the country who are saying, you know, if we had X person in charge or if we didn't have X person in charge uh, of the board, you know, we'd be winning Champions Leagues and whatever. But the reality is that pre-2015, Assem slash Ehab Alam um, were fine and were managing the club in a way that a football club needs to be managed. Post-2015, it became a far more cost-cutting, very conservative, small-c conservative attitude towards financial input to the club. It became, I mean, The Athletic did their um, scoop, I'm sure I mentioned it last time we chatted, where they only want to pay 4000 to £6,000 to a footballer to join. Like, we're in the championship. I mean, I can understand that being the sort of, you know, if we get relegated, this is our model. But until you are relegated, you can't operate on a four to sixteen, uh, four to six thousand pound per player budget because 
I mean, our highest played player at the moment is Kevin Stewart on 17 grand. And I mean, that probably isn't the highest paid player at many of the other clubs in the division. Um, you know, that's probably the average salary of the majority of the top half. So for, for the way the club has gone, I mean, I'm, well, I'm 20. Uh, born in 2000, first City game was probably when we were in League One um, the last time, so 2004-05. It's. I've never seen the the terrible days, but I know of them. I know we were locked out of our stadium the season before I was born. Um, the old Boothry Park, and yeah, you just look at the way it's going, and you wouldn't be surprised if someone bought the club but refused to buy the stadium rights, which the Alams hold, despite the council owning the stadium. They own the managing rights to it you could see them trying to do something similar and you know, trying to lock the club out because I genuinely don't think they care about the club. They bought the, the club because they care about the city or they said they did because it did so much for them uh, in their lives to sort of look after uh, an asylum seeker from Egypt um, when Assem first moved across. But yeah, I think that the Alams have really They've just poisoned the club. Whoever comes after this has to invest massively. Otherwise, they probably do risk the fans considering them exactly the same and not wanting to come back. And that's a large part of the next era for Hull City is whoever comes in or the Alams themselves have to convince the fans to come back to support the club again because the area will just go back to supporting bigger clubs like it used to. I mean, there's a lot of older people who support Leeds around here because... You know, City were a Division 2, Division 3 club and Leeds were winning titles and they weren't far enough away to, to sort of, you know, it's not like you're supporting a club in London. You're supporting another team in Leeds that are only an hour away. So, yeah, it's it's just got to change, to be honest with you. Right, well, thank you for, for that, Sam. And um, despite the... Uh, precarious position you're lying obviously wish you all the best for the final game and hope it's not at Barnes's expense but it's going to be a, <laughs> it's going to be a bit of a crazy Wednesday evening so we'll have to see what happens thank you Sam thank you another team that has had a change in fortunes is Sheffield Wednesday a good start to the season had Owls fans optimistic but a slump in form since Christmas has left Wednesday in the bottom half of the table I spoke to Owls fan Connor Thorpe about their efforts this season so, Connor, in your last game, obviously a disappointing result against Fulham. What, what were your take on the game? Uh, just another shambolic defensive display once again. Uh, that's, that's the third time this season that we've conceded five goals in a game. The third time in the second half of the season. Um, and then there's other games as well where we've conceded three to the likes of Derby, Reading, um, probably a few more that I just don't want to think too much about at the minute. Um, yeah, just a mixture of sort of individual errors costing us once again and really lacking any sort of organisation out of possession, really. Um, at times we tried to press them and then once they played through the press, we were so disorganised sort of in our in between the, the lines of our defensive midfield. Other times we'd sit off them and allow them to dominate possession at the back and they just didn't really seem to be much of a plan in how we were going to stop them playing, particularly in the first half. Um, I think for the first minutes we were all right, to be fair. We started off pretty well and then 
a couple of defensive errors for the for the first goal. It was really soft. It was a, a switch ball, I think, maybe by Harry Arter. Lovely ball, to be fair. Cabano controlled it, and then you have to question Odebarjo getting a little bit too tight. Probably just should have stood off him and stayed on his feet. And then you've got to question Wildsmith. And then from there, um, we just seem to lose all our organisation. Uh, the second goal. Can't even remember what the second goal. Oh yeah, the second goal was just like completely, like I say, miss bag, badly organised defending. You've got Borna, I think it was, who was further up than Tom Lee's, and then Mitrovic just gets in behind Borna and stays on side, makes it two, and then I offer with a completely needless tackle for the third, and Mitrovic scores a penalty. It was a a series of sort of comical individual errors that that let us down really. Um, and a lack of organisation. Second half, we improved. Um, Murphy and Nui definitely made an impact. There's no doubt about that. I think we got into the game, back back into the game from a penalty that shouldn't have been a penalty. And uh, the second goal takes a massive deflection. So from that perspective, it probably adds a little bit of gloss onto the scoreline. Because um, I think if you, you look at the way that we defended, it probably should have been more than a defeat by two goals. But there's no doubt we improved in that second half. Uh, just frustrating because I suppose if we if we'd have kept it down at half time, we might have might have been in a game. But you make some stupid errors, you go three 0 down, no matter how you perform in the second half. It's very unlikely that you're going to get back into a game. And uh, frustrating. I, I sound like a broken record because I just you know there's that many times where we go and concede three goals or five goals in a game where and where we make these stupid errors. And it's a completely different team to what we were seeing pre-Christmas. We were defensively solid up to then. Third best defence in the league. And now look at us. Yeah, we're going to ask you about that in terms of the drop-off in form. Teams have found it difficult and can understand why there'd be a change in how teams are playing with the nature of the restart and everything that's happened. But what what is the reason for you behind Wednesday's Lack of success since the restart. Obviously, it's two wins, only two wins since the restart. What what do you put that down to? Well, it's it's really a lack of success since Christmas. Um, our form since then has been absolutely dire. And to be honest with you, it's not as bad now as it was just before the lockdown. So we definitely can't put it down to that. If anything, I thought the lockdown probably would have done us more good than harm because we were on such a bad run that you sort of have a few months off, I think you can reset the batteries. We talk about the fact that the performances at Hillsborough haven't been very good. Will the fact that there's no fans take a bit of pressure off and allow them to play with a bit more freedom? We definitely haven't seen that at home yet. We haven't won at home since the restart. Um, so if I was going to answer that question, it'd probably I'd have to address it from the start of Christmas, really, because it's just been an absolute nosedive down the table since then obviously we were third in the league at Christmas looking like we'd be able to put a playoff charge together and the talk was then if, if the EFL charge was going to come this season it'd derail a promotion push not get not consign us down to relegation and that's changed due to the terrible results and performances over the first three months of the year and, and the past month which has been better than lockdown but it's still been up and down to be honest it's difficult to point your finger on where it went wrong because, we, like I said, we were third at Christmas Day. We were 2-1 up at Stoke on Boxing Day, heading for third in the league, uh, you know, retaining that position. 
despite not playing well that day, we were never playing well that day, but we managed to get ourselves back into the game and then we scored not long after to make it 2-1. And then we imploded. We conceded two goals in stoppage time. And then since then, we've, we've been an absolute shadow of ourselves. As did something happen in the changing room that day? I don't know. But it just seems to be that game that was a complete turning point. And it wasn't the first time that we'd sort of collapsed in added time. I remember a few games before that as well, we were thinking we're doing well to be third to say that we're conceding all these goals in added time. Hopefully if we can cut that out, then we should be in a good position. But they, the, the late goals never got cut out and the mistakes started creeping in for a full 90 minutes instead of just in stoppage time. Um, there was there was nothing wrong with the performances. Usually, when a team has a drop off in form, usually the performances before the drop off aren't aren't great, and they might pick up lucky wins. But the performances aren't great. But with us, I think we were playing well as well. You know, we we were stopping opposition teams from creating chances against us, and we were creating decent chances ourselves. I think at home we were probably posting a few of those close one nil wins. Uh, but away, you know, we we beat the likes of Forest away four nil. We'd won four one at Middlesbrough earlier in the season. We were we were putting some great results together away from home, and you know, it's it's one of the most um, it's one of the strangest collapses I I remember seeing in the EFL. You know, there's us and Hull that have just completely fell off a cliff, and you can probably point to Hull's reason, saying that you know they sold Bone and Grzycki, but for us. We didn't really sell anyone to. We didn't sell anyone to start this runoff. So I'm I'm honestly lost for words at how our seasons unravelled because I I just don't have the answer. I watch this team every week and uh, I don't have the answer, and I don't think any fan really has the answer to to what's happened. You can't really put your finger on it. Yeah, somebody who is not a Chevy Wednesday fan, obviously, but somebody who's close to the club in terms of fans and you know close to a lot of fans and know a lot of what's going on I mean from, from my point of view it just seems that I'd be wary of maybe a, a culture of like this like I don't know it seems to have been growing this sort of because obviously under Carlos first season it was such a, a breath of fresh air with positivity and obviously we all know how that ended um, and then come back the next year and to get playoffs again and again, we all know that ended. It just seems like it's just not quite there uh, in the previous seasons. Obviously, the players have come and gone, managers have come and gone. There's only one. I've seen a lot of negativity go towards the top at Sheffield Wednesday. Is that for you the fundamental change that needs to happen in order to bring a fresh mentality and stop this rot, or is it another problem? Are you talking about chairman or the manager? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, I was more like because managers have been and gone, um, and players right. have been and gone, and, and you haven't still managed to quite achieve the heights of you know getting promotion, which is obviously for, for a club like Sheffield Wednesday, that is their aim. It should be their aim, and you know. So I'm just wondering what what the what I'm saying is it, it can probably infer from that that the problem is at the top. But I'm just interested to know from somebody who's uh, a fan of the club and probably more knowledge about what's going on. What do you put that down to that that the the just in it the inability just to get that final step. Yeah, I think it's down to a combination of all three factors that we've touched on there. So obviously, we'll, we'll start with the players. I mean, 
it's such a strange one because they are the same group of players that got to third in the league and were overachieving. But it just does feel like at Wednesday there's been a bit of a culture there for the past uh, couple of years, ever since sort of you know when it, when it started to unravel under Carlos. Um, I just think it's you know you need a, a solid churn of players coming in and out at a football club. You need um, to keep people on their toes a bit, and players also need to be kept on their toes in terms of their career as well. So they need, I think sometimes players need a fresh challenge, don't they, to keep them motivated. If not, you might lose that extra 10% and you might become a bit more, you might become a bit comfortable at the club and you might not, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying they go out to lose on purpose, but I definitely don't think that sort of extra 10%, the sort of, you know, team spirit and running through brick walls, all these awful cliches that often get used. But I think in our case, I'm not sure all the fundamental side of that is there. Do you think because... that that's, that may be due to, obviously, I know, I know it more than most in terms of how Barnsley operate in the transfer market, signing these young, hungry players. It works. There's pros and cons. Obviously, the pros are that the players are hungry and they want to prove themselves. The cons are, obviously, they don't stick around because Barnsley aren't in the position to offer financially what other teams can offer. Do you think that's... I've always thought that Sheffield Wednesday you've signed players that have been towards the tail end of their career, which obviously has the obvious benefits of they've got the experience, they've got the know-how. But then again, do you think you lack that hunger and desire maybe, like that extra 10% you were on about? Absolutely, yeah. And that's been, again, that, that that's going to come back to the top of the club and how the way the club's run. Because the way we did it was to try and sign players who were proven in inverted commas and um, money. But those sort of players, if you, if they come in and they don't quite work out, they're going to have no resale value. Um, look at Jordan Rhodes, look at Almin Abdi, who we signed for four million and had to let go on a free. Um, and yeah, there needs to be a bit more of a youthful blend there. Players that haven't proved themselves yet in their career and have got something to prove. So yeah, like you say, that extra 10% will be there. And I think it's it's not down to sort of any individual. I just think it's like a culture within the squad. It's, it's pretty hard to put your finger on it or explain. But I think, like you were saying at Barnsley, I think Barnsley have gone too far the other way, really. I think you need a good, you need a good blend. And we definitely don't have that blend. And I think that is something that we are going to sort out. And I think that's the way that our recruitment needs to go. Because <clears throat> the problem is signing players like Jordan Rhodes for eight to 10 million. If that gamble doesn't pay off, it's not like he's a 22-year-old that's going to get any better. Um, and if, and if you're signing players that are sort of 21, 22, and I, I always use this example, but look at a team like Brentford, who pick up all these players for, who are 19, 20, 21 years old, throw in the first team, give them a chance, and then if they do prove themselves, they've got higher resale value to sell to another club, you can then reinvest that money in the squad. And that also keeps a bit of freshness about the club as well. You've got those players coming in and out, whereas we haven't got that because we've signed players who are sort of, 27, 28, generally speaking, they haven't proved themselves. They're on big wages and because of that, we haven't been able to get rid of them. So that's why you create this culture of players who are a little bit comfortable and there's not enough movement in and out. And I think that is something that will change. I think we've realised that the way we were going down previously, we can see the trouble that it's landed us in. I think, you know, Using an example, we've been linked with Fisayo Deli Bashiru, 19-year-old from Manchester City. Those are the kind of signings that 
I'd like us to be investing in sort of low risk signings because if he doesn't work out, you know, it's not like we'll have spent a lot of money on him. It's not like he'll be on high wages. Might even be able to sell him to somebody else. Um, but if he does work out, hopefully become part of a team, of our team. And if he outgrows us, then we get money in and uh, reinvest that elsewhere in the squad. And I think with FFP, because you can only lose a certain amount of money, I think that's the direction that we need to be going in. And I think that's the direction that a lot of clubs need to go in nowadays. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean the things you were saying there in terms of um, it was just it's that's literally the model you're sort of playing the model that Barnes used in terms of, mm. and I think you might have be right in terms of saying that we might have gone the wrong way, the other way. I think it's just an extreme version of what we're talking about, uh, and mm. I guess the proof's in the pudding in terms of where we are on the table right now. It's just a shame because I was saying the other day. I mean, imagine if we still had the players when all Hurian, uh, you know, Mawson these players have gone on to achieve better things and probably for their careers. It's just such a shame that, you know, that, 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 that strategy is a pros and cons. I think it's right that you said that it's integral that you have that blend in the team. Now I'm just going to ask about Drake Rickon that is coming with the signings that are coming through. And I mean, I know you've been linked with Bashiru and obviously the, some academy prospects coming through this year. Is that something do you think that Monk's, driven and pushed through or think that something that's come from the top an acknowledgement that you know our current strategy isn't working and we need to change um i think it's probably a little bit of both i'm not sure who the head of recruitment i forget his name i had a recruitment but i know he was i know he was instrumental in bringing i offer to the club he's one of them um even, I know Harrison Bourne aren't young, but they're sort of cheap signings on a free that have been okay. But there's sort of no strings attached in, in terms of it's pretty risk-free. If they're not very good, then you haven't paid a big fee for them. They're not likely to be on big wages from what you'd think. Um, I think Monk is definitely behind that vision as well. Uh, he, there's no doubt he's, you know, he's spoken loads of times of the needs. David Downs, that's his name. Uh, Lewis just tells me <laughs> I should know that really, um, but yeah, Gary Monk spoken of the need to freshen up the squad. I think it's plainly obvious for all to see that that is what needs to happen, uh, and and it's also out of necessity as well. Like I said, the, the, we've seen that the previous recruitment strategy didn't work. Um, you don't want to keep trying the same thing and failing. You need to change change it up a bit, and I think that is the way to go. I think everybody at the club realizes that needs to happen, but whether Gary Monk whether I can trust Gary Monk to lead that, I'm not sure I can because the results that he's been getting haven't been anywhere near good enough. I know it's not being his squad, um, but you still need to see signs of progress to believe that a manager's going to be capable of leading your biggest rebuild in 10 years. And unfortunately, the signs haven't been there for me in, this, in definitely in the second half of the season. So to wrap up, um, say the worst does happen and that Wednesday are, are do get relegated um, or that you do stay up, What whatever happens, using both scenarios, what do, what do you think will happen with uh, Gary Monk and in terms of the playing squad, what direction will you take? So if you stay up or if you go down, what will happen, do you think? <laughs> well, I think it's so hard to to say that 
Uh, I, I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen at the minute, even those inside the club. You don't know what division you're going to be in, so it's difficult to say. Um, I think it all depends on what. I mean, if we if we cleared of all if we're cleared of all charges and we stay up, obviously because we we won't get a points deduction, and you can kind of say that we can start afresh and and start the rebuild in a pretty good position. To be honest with you, if if that does happen, because um, as far as I'm aware, FFP has been suspended this year. Not sure if what because I know the EFL's framework is profit profitability and sustainability. So I'm not too sure what sort of um, consequences that'll have in terms of that. But you'd, you'd hope that they'd sort of relax the rules because they're all the coronavirus, um, which could play into our favour a little bit. I'm not saying we should go out and spend stupid money that we haven't got, but spend sensible money on good young players that we know can improve with the club. That would be my aim if, if we were to survive. Um, you know, if we start next season on minus 21 points, it's you have to pretty much... Put, put put together a playoff campaign to stay up and it'd be very difficult to see that happening so do you then spend big to try and achieve that um, knowing that if you do that you'll probably be in absolute you know in, in, in real trouble in League One if you do get relegated or do you kind of accept it and you, you know the idea of accepting relegation at the start of the season also doesn't sit well with me so you can see how much of a mess it is I think if we go down, um, uh, well, to be fair, if we go down or stay up, we know that a rebuild is required regardless. It, it's just the, the calibre of players that you can attract and the calibre of players that you need. Um, if we go down, we'll obviously have to cut the wage bill. I know profit and sustainability is a lot stricter in League One. There could be the added caveat of a salary cap coming in, which would be a disaster for us. Um, so we'd have to balance the books and then You'd hope at that level that we'd be able to attract the best players for that level, uh, but you know it's not as easy. It's easy. It sounds good in theory, but in practice, we know it doesn't always turn out like that. You look at other teams that have been stuck in League One for a while. We know our neighbours were stuck in League One for six years. Sunderland haven't got out yet. Ipswich didn't come back at the first attempt. So if you don't get it right. You, there's no guarantee. That, well, I mean, there's obviously no guarantee you're going to go up, but you could you could be stuck there for a few years. So that's it's pivotal that you get it right. I mean, I suppose the difference with us is if we do go down, it's not because the players have deserved it; it's because of a points deduction for stuff that's happened off the field. Um, it, it all depends on what sort of financial situation we're in. If we're able to spend freely in League One, you can imagine that we have a good chance of putting a team together that would be favourites to go up uh, but we could be in a situation where we've got no money to spend and we could slide down towards the bottom and be in a bit of a Bolton scenario literally like I don't think anything's off the table at the minute it, it's such an uncertain time to be a Wednesday fan I should be having my feet up now probably off to a pre-season friendly at Alfreton or something knowing what's going to happen for a season just being quite calm and relaxed and excited for a new season but instead We've got this thing over our heads that's been there for eight months and doesn't seem to be going away. And uh, everything's just completely up in the air. Yeah, it certainly is. And I think a lot of people will feel like that of many fans across many clubs in the EFL and the Premier League at the minute. So, yes. Well, best of luck in your final game. Who have you got in the final game? Again. 
Middlesbrough. So again, that's uh, yeah. uh, could be an interesting one. Neil Warnock, they're not out of the woods yet themselves. So I'm dreading that one. Yeah, it will be very interesting. Well, best of luck in that one. And yes, thank you for speaking with me, Connor. Thank you. <laughs> the Reds go into the final game of the season, knowing only a win is enough at least to keep their heads afloat. In addition to that, they also need results in and around the relegation places to go their way, with Charlton and Luton playing, of course, along with the rest of the division tonight. Looking at Brentford, this is also a crucial game for them, with automatic promotion on the line, joining Leeds in the Premier League. If, if West Brom win this evening, it, Brentford cannot go up automatically. However, a point may be enough for Brentford if West Brom fail to win. It's certainly going to be a very interesting evening in the Championship. Hopefully the Reds can win and the results go their way to keep their position in this division. That's it for this episode of Talk of the Town. If you enjoyed it, please do share and I'll see you soon.